on October 13th, 1968, that this church had its first service. And it began with a message entitled, Expect a Miracle. And Expect a Miracle sort of became the motif of this church. And it was a motif that expected that God would show up in a mighty way and lives will be changed. But before we look back too far into the history of our church 50 years ago, I need to say something that is very important for you, whether you are a regular attendee or whether you're new, maybe this is your first Sunday, or maybe you're just coming back for the second or third time. In your own life right now, some of you are expecting a miracle. It may be a miracle in the midst of your pain. Maybe you've just gone through a major loss or a setback, and you're expecting God to show up and perform a miracle. Maybe it's in your marriage. Your marriage is sort of stuck. Maybe it's going backwards, not going forwards, and you're expecting God to do a miracle. And maybe it's as a parent. You just don't know what to do with your kids, and you're expecting God to do a miracle. Maybe it's with your business or with your job or with your work, and you want God to show up and do a miracle. Maybe it's in the area of your own spiritual walk. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction, a private addiction, a closet addiction, and you're just wanting God to show up and to change the situation, to transform the situation. You're waiting for a miracle. You see, back 50 years ago, the miracle that people were waiting for was for Jesus Christ to save lives, for Jesus Christ to deliver lives. And so a bunch of young marrieds had a dream, had a vision, had a hope. And their dream was to reach young people, to reach families, to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Not to reach people that already went to church or were part of their tradition. They wanted to reach people who didn't know about Jesus Christ. And they wanted the gospel to go forward and for lives to be changed. They expected a miracle. And it's interesting when I read the history, and by the way, I I put an article from The Messenger in 1999 uh, back there on the information desk. I would encourage everyone to pick up a copy and to read through it. But as I read through this motif of expect a miracle, they understood something. And some of you are sitting here and you understood what you were stepping out to do. To trust in God and not in yourself. That you were going to have to be courageous. That means fear had to go away and you had to be courageous and step out in faith. And do something that you knew only God could do. You knew you were going to have to have an open heart. And I love how it's said in here, not only an open heart, but open gates. That you were understanding that you were no longer just going to be focusing on people of your tradition or just people who were Mennonites, but you were going to have an open heart and open gates to reach people in this community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I sort of want to use our history 
to encourage us all. And this isn't just a message on our church, though this is going to be sort of the headline of what I'm going to be talking about, but it is also a message for each one of us, whether you call this church your home or not. Because I believe that our understanding and our belief and how we expect God to show up in our lives will impact the way we look at life. And it will impact our faith, especially our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, our trust in him, our courage, our hope, and the dreams that he has set out for us. This morning, I want us to look back a little bit so that we can leap forward. You see, I believe that history is really good. History is an opportunity for us to look back and say, what did we did right? Well, what were some of our wins? Where were we successful? How can we repeat that in the future? But we also need to look back and we need to say, what did we not do right? Where did we miss the mark? What what can we do better as we head into the future? And all of us need to do that in our lives and in our marriages and as parents and as Christians. It's important sometimes to pause and look back so that we can take a giant leap into the future. Here's what I want us to see this morning. You see, the past is not better. Some of us live in the past, and we talk about the glory days, and we view the, last, the past as being better than what today or the future is all about. But some of us are dreamers, and we think, oh, the future is going to be better. But it's not about the past, and it's not about the future. It's always about the present. You see, being present and being engaged in the now is what makes life better. One of the things that I've been saying for the last couple of years, that if you are following Jesus, that means if you are a disciple of Jesus, you're listening to Jesus' voice, you're trying to do what Jesus wants you to do, you're excited about your relationship with Jesus, and you're walking with Jesus, guess what? You're going to be better at life, and your life is going to be better. The principle is the same as you look back and you leap forward. Because those who can leap forward are those who are engaged in being present. They're not wishing that we could go back. And they're not so off in the future that they're, they're not present to make a difference in the now. So being present is crucial. Because being present and engaged and alive is always better. Let me illustrate this with what I think are some of the wins in the life of our church. As I look at the life of our church, and when I hear stories about our past, and you can talk to a lot of people, we still have some of the people in our past, but when, when I hear stories about our church and what were the wins, people talk about the evangelism, especially in the early days. We talked about people coming to Christ. And I hear many stories, this is where I found Jesus Christ, this is where I got saved, this is where I made a decision to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But also, on the heels of that, people talk about discipleship, this is where I grew in my faith, this is where my faith blossomed. And people who have even left this church, 
say, this is the place where I grew and I developed my faith in Jesus Christ. Hear stories, and this is still true today, about Kindercastle and the school. And somehow in our past, when God was expecting a miracle, we were using Kindercastle and the school, and they were working hand in hand together, and we were growing, and they both were growing, and they were making a difference. And again, it's interesting listening to the stories about the past and the faith of the women to understand that ministering to kids and to families was one way we could make an impact in our community. Hearts at Home, the ladies group, and just how that impacted so many ladies and people not even from our church came to Hearts and Homes. Why? Because they found fellowship and Bible study and growth and encouragement. And as you look at this, the care groups, and before that there was the D groups and the community dinner and all these things that is part of our history and our past. The reason that time appears maybe to be better or those were the good old days is because, again, people were present. They were engaged. They were involved. They understood this was the life bread of our church. So the past isn't better. The future isn't better. Being present, being involved in ministry. And next week we're going to look at plan A when there is no plan B. Plan A is always evangelism and discipleship, sharing our faith, and helping others to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I want us to do is to look at this expected miracle 2.0, and I want us to look through the lens of John chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And I want to read the story of Jesus when he was in Cana, and some call it the, the miracle at the wedding, uh, Jesus' first miracle, Jesus' first sign. In John chapter 2, and it's in the New Testament, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you come to John. John chapter 2, verse 1. It says on the third day, symbolic and foreshadowing what is to come, I believe. It says there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And it says when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that now had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, 
Everyone serves a good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. Every time I read this, I, I get excited and I see new things. And maybe you're seeing this for the very first time. Maybe this is also your 10th or 100th time to read this about this miracle of Jesus. Now, a couple of warnings. If we, if we focus on, oh, it's talking about wine. Does this mean Christians can drink wine or Christians shouldn't drink wine? Or was it grapefruit? We've already taken the ball in the wrong direction. The focus is on the miracle. And this was Jesus' first sign that he did as the Messiah. And so it is very important because I believe it teaches us something as we expect a miracle ourselves, individually and as a church. Here's what I want us to see this morning from this passage as we expect a miracle 2.0. Here's what I want us to learn first off. All it takes is for one person to expect a miracle to happen. All it takes is for one person to expect a miracle to happen. This isn't usually the way we maybe learn about miracles. We, we learn about all the faith and trust and the, the crowds just really need to believe. But as you read this story it's sort of doubtful whether anybody besides Jesus' mother, and we'll look at that in a little bit, expected a miracle. The, the wedding party wasn't expecting a miracle. The, the guests wasn't expecting a miracle. Jesus' disciples, they'd just been called in John chapter 1, and they just started, they, they were fresh three days in. They didn't know that Jesus was going to do miracles. Nobody was expecting Jesus to do anything. And it's very interesting. I don't know why John chose this, but notice he doesn't even mention Mary by name. Maybe he doesn't want us to worship the fact of Mary. Maybe he wants us to see something. There is a wedding in Cana, which again, by the way, wasn't a place of significance. And nobody even knew about it. It's even got a different name now today. It's really not that important of a place. Not a place of miracles. We're not talking about Jerusalem here. We're not talking that the, John the Baptist had said that the Messiah has now taken over and I'm going in the background. Nobody was expecting Jesus to do anything. But this mother of Jesus, the mother of Jesus was the only one that I can see that was expecting a miracle. Let's think about this for a second. In your own life, as you look at your family or your work situation or something that you're struggling with, and maybe it involves other people, realize something, that, that God is wanting to do something special. God is wanting to do something, whether you're expecting him to step into the situation or not. But big picture as it relates to us as a church, all it takes 
is for one person. When the church started, it was a young marriage class. And there were a few people that had the dream and the vision to move forward because they were expecting God to do something special. I was thinking about it as it relates to our church. I was thinking about those of us who are in our 20s and 30s. Are we ready to step out? Is there somebody in their 20s and 30s that are expecting a miracle 2.0 to happen in the life of this church? It requires someone to understand that God can do what he says he wants to do. Even if others have doubts and frustrations and confusions, as we'll see in a second, this was chaos here. It was an embarrassment what was going on. All it takes is for one person or one group of people to expect a miracle. Let's look at Mary here. Mary expected a miracle. Mary also waited for a miracle. When Jesus went, or when Jesus was at this wedding and Mary was talking to Jesus, the wine was gone. And again, this, this was an embarrassment. I'm, I'm taking it, the reason Jesus and his disciples and his mother was there, this was probably a family wedding. So the family's reputation was on the line. And what Mary understood was that Jesus could solve the situation. Now I have up there, Mary was waiting for a miracle. Imagine this, she knows when Jesus was born that he was going to be the Messiah, he was going to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he was going to be the Savior of all mankind. We're talking 30 years. That's a long time that she has been waiting for the prophecy to be fulfilled. And she was waiting for God to show up and to do something miraculous. And when she goes, notice how this text goes. It's nothing glamorous. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. She'd been waiting for the Messiah to do something. She realized that this was embarrassing. The people were empty and broken and they were without the celebration and the joy and without the life. And she goes to Jesus and she's going to teach us something, but she waited. She waited a long time. Notice this, she asked for a miracle. When she says they have no wine, she didn't say, Jesus, do a miracle. She's asking, Jesus, I know you can do something here. It's not even stated, but it is implied that Jesus was going to show up. Well, how do you know that that was implied? Notice what she says. The mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You see, the one thing about Mary that just... We need to understand as Christ followers, when she is presented in Scripture, she was always listening to God's voice and she was always obeying God's voice. She was always expecting what was prophesied to her to happen, to be real, to be something that could occur. 
And so she's going to her son, Jesus, to solve the situation. Some of us, we can understand. We've been expecting a miracle. Maybe we've been waiting for a miracle. But some of us have stopped asking for a miracle. And we need to start asking God to show up, not just in the life of our church, in the life of our family, in the life of our situations, in the, in the middle of our brokenness and our pain and our hurts and our confusion, in the midst of our finances, whatever it is, we need to ask God, show up and do a miracle. But this is what I want us to see so clearly this morning. It wasn't just a miracle. You see, I think sometimes we as Christians, we, we expect the miracle, and that becomes more important than Jesus itself. You see, Mary believed in Jesus. And we will see that the result of the miracle was the disciples believed in Jesus as well. Where is your faith this morning? For us as a church, I hope your faith is not in me. I, I hope your faith is not in the elders. I hope your faith is not that some of these 20 and 30 year olds will come up with a dream and a vision and a purpose. I hope this morning that your faith is in Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that can bring new life. He's the only one that can bring celebration. He's the only one that can bring transformation. For those of you who are hurting, maybe you're lonely like we talked about in the last series. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've lost all hope. Are you just believing in a God who does miracles? I read an article a couple of years ago. It was in Parade. It was in the newspaper Parade. And it said that 85% of Americans still believe in miracles. But how many believe in Jesus? And that is so important. Mary expected a miracle. Mary waited for a miracle. Mary asked for a miracle. She believed in Jesus. And she experienced a miracle. You see, there is a process. Miracles just don't happen to be happening. I think this church did a series called Experiencing God, like many other churches. And in order to experience God at work, again, you've got to have faith. You need to be listening, and you need to be trusting in him. Here's how I want us to apply this this morning. Miracles do happen with little or no faith. Now, again, this may go contrary to what you have been taught or thinking, but... Where is the faith here? If you go and you look at the other seven signs that occur, most of them occur without any faith at all, without any belief, without any trust. Am I saying I don't want you to have faith or little faith? 
What I'm saying is not that. What I'm saying is I want you to believe that God wants to do something in our lives. And we need to be looking for it. And we need to be trusting in others who have faith and let them sometimes have faith for us and to be trusting in the situation. Here's the second truth that we need to know. Miracles happen at just the right time. Notice what Jesus said to her. He said, woman, which is not a sign of disrespect. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You see, some of us, we want a miracle and we want it now. But in the big picture, God is up there and he's sovereign and he's in control and he's watching and he knows what's happening. And God is always waiting to release a miracle at just the right time. Just imagine these people. These Jewish people. God chose them at the right time to reveal the Messiah and who he was. So when you have your doubts and you have your confusions, you say, where is God? Why is he not working? Why is he so slow? Why is he not coming to my rescue? Understand that miracles happen at just the right time. Miracles transform our past. Let's think about this for a second. Miracles look at our past and they look at our brokenness and they look at what's not working and they bring life and celebration to them. You see, the first miracle of water being changed into something was done by who? It was done by Moses. And it was water that was turned into blood. You remember that when they were trying to let the people go? It was a miracle of judgment. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he does a miracle now and it's a miracle of hope. It's a miracle of grace. It's a miracle of life. Jesus is saying something. The past is going to be the past pretty soon and I'm going to look forward to the future and I'm going to transform it. You see, Jesus is sort of unhitching himself from the past and he's moving forward to the future. You say, Mark, well, how do you see that? Because notice who this miracle is for. It's for the Jews. You see, the Jews who didn't understand that a Messiah was coming, they needed signs, they needed miracles to say, yes, that the Messiah was on hand. And Jesus is saying something here. You know the, this rite of purification? We're going to do away with that because behold the Lamb of God in John chapter 129. He is on the scene and Jesus is going to be able to provide the purification and the cleansings of sins and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus and miracles can transform our past and give us a bright future. Miracles also transform our perspective. They transform our perspective. Notice here in this text, it says, Everyone serves a good wine first when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. You see, miracles allow us to realize that God is doing something good. God is doing something new. God is doing something 
that we can celebrate, something that is better. But when we get stuck and we're just stuck in a, a rut and we're wondering where do we move forward in our situation, miracles teach us that God wants to do something, but it requires us to change our perspective. So if, if I was reading this and not just teaching on it and speaking on it, I'd be reading this and I'd be saying, guess what? God wants to do something new. He wants to bring life. He wants to create. He wants something to be celebrated in something that is broken and that I need to trust in him and I need to have faith in him. I need to put a stake in the ground in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Miracles also transform our faith. Notice what it says that, and his disciples believed in him. The disciples had faith in him. The disciples had trusted in him. It's very interesting. This was the first time it says that the disciples believed in him. And this was his first sign. We as believers, we're on the other side of this. We place our faith in Jesus after the last sign, the resurrection. And so when we know that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and Savior, and he's resurrected, we place our faith in Jesus because we know that he has conquered death and sin, and he offers forgiveness and hope and peace. And so we trust in that. Miracles allow us to transform our faith, though. When we see God at work. Now, some of you may struggle, just like maybe some of these early disciples struggled to see God at work. And you have to look back and say, oh, that's what God is doing. And I have seen, just in my short time here, I have seen God at work in changing lives and changing marriages and changing situations. I've seen God at work in taking difficulties and making them work out all right. And we need to trust him. Here's the last thing we need to know about miracles. Miracles happen when we're empty and broken. You may be saying to yourself, Mark, this all sounds great, but I don't know how this relates to me. But some of you are close to the end, and I'm not talking about the end of life. You, you, you've lost hope. You've lost perspective. You've lost faith. Just like in this wedding situation, they were out. Notice that the, the water containers even, they were empty. They were broken. They didn't hold water. And that's when Jesus does his best work is when things feel empty and broken inside. Jesus shows up and he does a miracle. What's our next step? I'm going to give you three next steps and then we're going to talk about this next week. Notice this, Jesus turned a problem into an opportunity. Jesus turned a problem into an opportunity. I don't know what you consider our problems to be here at church. I can give you a long laundry list of them. I don't know what you consider the problems to be in your marriage or in your family or in your work situation or in your neighborhood or in this country. But I do know this, Jesus is a master 
at taking problems and turning them into opportunities. We as a church, I believe we just had one of those situations occur and it's been sort of neat to see with the school coming back together under one roof here and how it has created an opportunity to set a new culture, to set a new perspective. And to listen sometimes to the families and to the teachers and to, to listen to sometimes the students and to see some of the things that are changing with our church and school working hand in hand under one roof. And I see God working in a way that it's an awesome opportunity for us to minister to families. And maybe what started 50 years ago to, to reach people for Christ now is a new perspective on not only reaching people for Christ, but helping families get healthy and strong and providing a solid foundation in a Christian school to make that happen. Jesus turned a limitation into a blessing. Here's what we need to realize. When we, as a church, when we feel limited in our abilities, we feel limited maybe in the number of people to serve, or maybe we feel limited in our finances right now, or limited in our people available just to create momentum. God looks at all those situations, and he says, how can I turn that limitation into a blessing, into something that will be a radical transformation that's what God does and that's what he does best and this passage is just dripping with with hope for blessing and saying don't look at your limitations look at the unlimited God and how he wants to bless you and to work in your life you know as a pastor and being a pastor for a long time, not only do I see Christians who, who view their life as being limited, but I see so many churches that view themselves as being limited. I had somebody one time say to me, because, you know, we're 50 years, and I'm sort of looking at it, we're 50 years. Why don't some people seem more happy and wanting to celebrate? And I guess I sort of understood it. When I, when I turned 50 years old, I wasn't overly excited that I was turning 50, but... As a church, God has worked and done so many things. And somebody said, well, they sort of felt that maybe people have lost the perspective and hope and they feel like there really isn't a future. And I just want to say, no, 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 no. Look at the God of the scripture. And he looks at stuff and he says, when things appear to be limited, that's when God shows up and does a miracle and creates a blessing. And here's the last truth I want you to take with you. Jesus turned an embarrassment into a miracle. You see, the reason I think that, again, Mary went to Jesus was this was a family member. This was somebody definitely close to him. And I don't know, it may have been, it may have been Mary's brother, it may have been Mary's sister, it may have been a, a cousin, it, it, it may have been somebody that maybe just lived next door. Maybe it was a neighbor. I don't know who the situation is, but it was somebody that was close to Mary and the family. And in that culture, you actually could be thrown in prison. <laughs> Get this for weddings today. You could be thrown in prison if you had run out of food and drink in that culture. 
Why? Because it was embarrassing. You never invited somebody to a gathering, to a feast. You had to be prepared and you needed to be ready. And Jesus looks at this embarrassing situation and he says, guess what? This is an opportunity to do a And I know some of you are embarrassed. Maybe some of you are embarrassed with the church, but I know some of you are embarrassed with your marriage and again, all these different situations. Maybe you're just embarrassed on how your life is turning out. Maybe you're embarrassed of your past or some of the decisions you've made and you have all these regrets. But John chapter 2 and Jesus turning water into wine to tell us something, that Jesus wants to turn every embarrassment into a marriage. And I believe that God wants to take us to that next step. I would encourage us to look back and in the next step groups, some of you will have an opportunity if you're in the next steps groups. And I would encourage you also just to take some of the next steps over the next couple of weeks. They're on the foyer there on that information text or you can download them online. And to, to look at our past and to look at your past and to look at spiritual milestones, but then to use that to leap forward with hope and perspective and joy and victory and use the past to create momentum for the future because I believe God wants to do a miracle and he wants to do it for his glory.